Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our New Testament lesson this morning jumps ahead several seasons in the liturgical calendar as it recalls an event that we typically remember as Maundy Thursday as part of Holy Week. We're reading from the 26th chapter of Matthew's Gospel beginning with the 26th verse. You can find it on page 30 in the New Testament portion of your pew Bible. The words will appear on screen for those of you worshiping with us. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for this season of expectation, for its reminder not only of what you did long ago, but of the promise of what is to come. We pray that in this moment, through the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we will hear the word that you intend for this day, and that we will be led to respond with actions that bring you glory and honor. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Seasons of Advent and Christmas have their own unique musical repertoire. For instance, there's rarely another time of the year when we would hear the choir sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Nor ordinarily another time of the year when we would sing in worship, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I actually used that latter carol, though, the first Sunday of September this year, for it fit well with what I was trying to convey in my sermon, but I can tell you there was a sense of discomfort in the room <laughs> for people to be singing that on Labor Day weekend. There are other songs that certainly surface in this time of the year, ones about Rudolph and Frosty, one about a one-horse open sleigh, and then that tragic account of Christmas Eve of an encounter between grandma and a reindeer. <laughs> My guess is that each of you have your own songs that in particular you like to hear during these weeks. And we here in our times of worship will be bringing as many as we can of the church songs of this season to strengthen our time together. 
And yet, during these Sundays of Advent, my sermon texts will be focused on other songs that we find in the Bible. They're ones that are unlikely to lead you to start humming a tune quietly, and some of them are exceptionally long as well. Still, these are songs that lift up the themes that are woven throughout both our hymns and anthems year-round. We begin today with what might well be the oldest part of the Bible. Scholars have dated it to the 12th century before the time of Jesus. And it records a song that was offered immediately after the most significant event in the history of ancient Israel. The day when God led those slaves to freedom by parting the Red Sea, and as they reached the other side, closing in the waters on Pharaoh's advancing army. Those accounts are found for us in the book of Exodus, and it's immediately after that dramatic scene draws to a close that our passage begins, where we read, Then Moses and all the people sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, they began, for he has done gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. The song goes on to describe what happened to Pharaoh's army as they came after the Israelites. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. The song then continued with 12 more verses that we did not read before concluding, This is my God and I will praise him. A song of praise. What response would have been more appropriate for those people after all that they had just witnessed and the moment of their salvation being secured? The way the author of Exodus puts it is that these people, still while they're catching their breath, still trying to make sense of all the drama they've just witnessed and what they have just been given from God, that they immediately break into beautiful poetry and sing these words together. My hunch is that these words were written a little bit later when people had time to reflect upon what had occurred on that day and brought it to this moment in the story as the most natural response of all, of those times when individuals see what God has done in their lives and celebrate the gift of salvation, and in so doing, they offer a song of praise. On the Sundays when I'm preaching, I want to fill you in on how I select the hymns for that day. Typically, the hymn after the sermon is one when I'm trying to lift up some of the themes that were part of the sermon itself. I'm convinced that music can speak to us in a way that sometimes words alone cannot, and that there will be times when people will be singing that hymn and think of themselves, 
oh, that's what he was talking about. Sometimes I'll do that with the closing hymn as well. But in particular, I want to make sure that it helps prepare us to return into the world. And yet, the opening hymn is always one of praise. We need that. We need that after every week. With all the events that have marked our days, we need to reorient ourselves in God's presence. Every week has events that mystify us at the time, maybe that trouble us at the time, maybe that we can't figure out at the time, and thus we need to come back and be reminded that we are the creature and not the creator. I'm not aware of any place on the planet where sea was parted in recent days. And yet we have looked on and read with horror of three more acts of gun violence in our land and know that familiar sense of grief and loss that those times evoke. And like those Israelites of old, we're still trying to find our words in the aftermath of such times. And so we come together here to offer our praise to God. Our opening hymn so appropriate for that. Now thank we all our God, we sing, with hearts and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done, in whom this world rejoices. Such a hymn seems especially fitting after a weekend of national thanksgiving. And yet maybe some of you noticed the footnote on the hymn itself that told of the time of its composition. For it's written in 1636 by a Lutheran pastor named Martin Rinkert. And it wasn't written in a time when all was going well. Rather, it was composed in the very moment when his world was just at the halfway point of what would be called the Thirty Years' War. And yet still in the midst of that occasion... He offered those words, including the closing verse. All praise and thanks to God, who reigns in highest heaven. To Father and to Son and to Spirit now be given. The one eternal God, whom heaven and earth adore. The God who was and is and shall be evermore. Moses and the Israelites would have had no awareness of Jesus or the Holy Spirit, yet they stopped to offer their praise to God. As far as I can tell, it's the first song found in Scripture, and it's an appropriate starting point, for it gives us this glimpse of how people of faith best declare their gratitude to their maker. We see that happen in our New Testament reading, too. Circumstances were vastly different. This was not a group of people who were standing on a shoreline of the Red Sea having witnessed something unlike anything that had been seen before. Rather, it was a group of Jesus and 12 men. It was not a night when they were celebrating 
what had happened, but rather were sensing this ominous feel about what was to come. For just prior to our passage, Jesus had told them that one of their very group was going to betray him. And Judas innocently said, surely not I, Lord. And Jesus replied, you have said so. And it was then that our passage began. Then he took bread, we're told, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. He moves ahead with the cup and presents it to them as well. And says, truly I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you in the kingdom of God. In that particular moment, those men are celebrating something they'd celebrated many times before, the Passover meal. The time of recalling what God had done centuries before the very last plague that had caused Pharaoh to release the Egyptian slaves. And yet Jesus had also done something with that meal. He had transformed it, changed it into the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that we share. And Matthew says that once they were finished, he offers this word. When they had sung the hymn, they went out into the garden. Now Matthew doesn't tell us what that hymn is, but scholars know it's something called the Hallel, a word that literally means praise. It is found in our Bible, Psalm 113 to 118. And if the numbers are exactly the same as we find in our Old Testament, that means that those men, before they left the upper room, sang 85 verses. The writer of Exodus says that after the drama of crossing the sea had ended, that Moses and all the Israelites sang 12 verses or 18 verses. And I'd like you to keep in mind those two acts of faithfulness in the past the next time one of your pastors picks a hymn with more than three verses. <laughs> yet, yet more than what we see of this incredibly long song, what we have in those moments is a glimpse of people who recognize that they are to praise God in every moment. In times of nat national joy and heartache, in times of personal celebration and struggles, in times when it is clear what the path is to be moving forward, and times when we have no idea. In all of those moments, the most natural response is to offer a song of praise. Among all of those glimpses of sacrifice, woven in that day when 9-11 became more than just another moment on the calendar. I've always been struck by the events that occurred on Flight 93. That's the one you might recall when the passengers began to get word about what had happened in New York and what was happening at the Pentagon. And they decided that collectively they were going to rush the cockpit 
and make sure the same thing didn't happen with their plane. One of the men who was on that flight was a man named Todd Beamer. And in a recording that will live forever, he is heard shouting just before the charge, as he said, let's roll. His widow, Lisa Beamer, and the days and weeks that followed that personal and national tragedy displayed incredible strength. When President Bush addressed a joint session of Congress in the days that followed, he called upon Lisa Beamer, who was in the gallery overlooking, and she stood up and quietly received the applause of all who were below. At the time, she had two young boys and a child on the way. And several weeks later, she took that flight, 93, from Newark to San Francisco as a way of signifying that life had to go on. It was at the time of her husband's funeral, though. Something occurred about a week after the tragedy. Then I read an article in the Trenton Times in which Lisa Beamer spoke of how meaningful it had been for her to hear what others had to say about her husband. And she said, we all knew what kind of person Todd was. We know he's in heaven. Just knowing that when the crisis came up, he maintained the same character we all knew. It's a testament to what real faith means. It's been a real uplift, she said. It's put a spring in my step that I haven't had since the day before the crash. And accompanying that article was a photo of her in that worship service standing, and the caption simply said, Lisa Beamer sings a hymn. Friends, no matter what is happening in your life on this day, it is good that you are in worship. Whether this is a time of great celebration or confusion in your life, it is good that you are in worship. Whether in your own life it feels as if the path is clear moving forward or you have no idea where to begin, it is good that you are in worship. For it is in times like those and all the other ones in between that we can do no better than to join our voices with others and sing songs of praise to the God who was and is and shall be evermore. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for the abundance of your blessings in our lives. And for the occasion of just a few days ago, for focused consideration of those blessings and turning to you with our praise. We thank you for the witness that we have of ancestors in the faith who in moments hard and happy, also join their voices in acknowledging you as the source of all life. 
We pray that you will help us to continue acting upon that example in our lives on this day and all the days to come. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.